Amen. My name is Ben, one of the pastors at Hope Church. Today we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a copy of the scriptures, if not, please don't panic. We'll have one for you uh, on your way out. We'll also have them on the screen here. Here's an obvious question. Should we wear a mask in public places? I'm wearing one right now. Can I tell you how excited I am about it? I have to communicate to you, and, and you're in the experience of preaching the gospel to white people and people of different cultures and people in America, uh, you have to keep them engaged, and if you take away half of my face, I've got to compensate. Fortunately, I've got a great body, I can move with a lot of fluidity, hopefully I keep you engaged while we continue to talk about this. This is a big question. Obviously, it's a very intense question. Election year, it has been commandeered by different groups in order to push different agendas. And we've got an answer to that question. We're doing this for the gospel. I'm going to spend, let's say, half an hour, it may get longer, describing why and defending that premise. I'll make the guarantee now. I'll make it again at the end of the sermon. At the end of what I'm saying, if you can bring Bible with a different perspective, we will follow your perspective. If you can bring Bible, if you can show me that for the gospel is better served in a different way, we'll do it. While nobody's happy, this is exactly what we think is the best possible step forward to take the gospel to our community. And it's a statement. Because if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, it's a zero-sum game. In either instance, you're aligning yourself with one of these groups. And the groups aren't great. If you're wearing a mask, you're aligning yourself with people who, at grocery stores, see people without masks and cough at them to make a point. <coughs> To make a point. Now, what that point is, I don't really know. There's not a lot of logic to it. It seems like just a lot of spite. On the other hand, to people who aren't wearing masks, I read about a county commissioner in our very own Paiute County in Utah who compared Governor Herbert signing an order in the county that people wear masks to Hitler. I don't know how appropriate that is. It seems a little extreme. And we can all get intense. We can all get carried away. Um, you're trying to make your point. You go to the top shelf, whether it's coughing in a mask at somebody or comparing our governor to the leader of the Third Reich. I was uh, somebody who had to give a speech at high school graduation, class president, no big deal. And as I gave that speech, I'm embarrassed by it, uh, I... <laughs> Just trying to make a point, you know, you're trying to be heard. Uh, I said, hey, you know, this, this crowd has a lot of potential. In this crowd could be the next Lincoln, but in this crowd could also be the next Hitler. And I said that with a thousand people looking on. I'm sure a lot of grandmas weren't real excited about it. I'm embarrassed that I made that statement. I hope that others who have maybe gone a little further than was reasonable will at some point be embarrassed by the way that they've represented their position, but how people in the community act is their business before God. 
how we act is our business before God. And we do have a great deal of material to understand the best way to process these questions. I think the single best text for us today is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So that's where we're going to go. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. For though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, interesting, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. These series of verses are from a guy named Paul, and yet they are God's word. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're given by God. They're contained in what we call a Bible because it's God's word to us. And God in his creativity has used a very specific letter written by a specific man to a specific church to encapsulate his wisdom for his church. This guy, Paul, wrote a letter to a church that he had planted in a real place called Corinth. It's still a place. You can still go there. And Paul's reputation in that place had been decimated. Others came in behind him. They began to ask questions, make accusations. They split the church. And now there's only a small subset who continued to see Paul as an authority or a good guy. They came in behind Paul and they said, this guy's wishy-washy. He's a waffler. He's different around different groups. And he doesn't even get paid for his work. Now, you may say, that doesn't sound that impressive. Wouldn't it be a good thing for Paul to do what he does and also be free? Maybe. But Rachel and I were talking about this this week. Would you want to get surgery from some guy who was like, no, I don't get paid to do it? <laughs> I, you know, I do another job, but if you want me to. <laughs> why would they follow such a gutless man? A waffler. So in this letter to the church in Corinth, Paul is responding. And he's showing them that he does have a true loyalty. He's got a reason behind all his actions. And that one reason, that one goal, that one mandate rings the same note no matter what the situation is. He's a handyman. His one goal is to fix things. And sometimes that means taking a hammer and bashing it. It means sometimes taking a light hairbrush and just delicately painting. It means sometimes taking a wrench and screwing something in tight. But while he's doing something different all these times, he has one goal. Paul's a driver. He's got one location that he's going to. Sometimes he goes left. Sometimes he goes right. Sometimes he goes fast. Sometimes he goes slow. Sometimes he puts on traction control. Sometimes he takes it off. But he's always going to one location. Paul's a doctor. Sometimes he puts heating pads on you and gives you sleeping pills to make you happy. But sometimes he cuts you like a fish because you have to do what you need to do to heal the patient. There's always one note. And we 
do everything we do to speak the gospel so that some of these people can come to know God forever. Now, how do masks fit in? Like everything else, for us, this is not a political issue first. I understand that it has implications. I'm not stupid. I mean, you know. But it is first a gospel issue. So let's work through it. Here's what we want to say first. And this is sad. This is crazy. And this is true. We will do anything for the gospel. In the history of the church, you have people like the Moravians who were missionaries from Germany and sold themselves into slavery to reach slaves in East India. It didn't work out. People in those different areas wouldn't allow them to sell themselves into slavery, but they tried to, and they used their willingness to in order to get into those countries and begin to share the gospel, which led to the planting of hundreds of churches. There are men and women without count throughout history who have sold their belongings, moved across the world, learned a new language, learned a new culture, and then watched as their children lived wildly different lives than the parents did with danger, loneliness, and exclusion as constant companions. And then there's what Paul did. Acts chapter 16 verse 3 says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. I want you to imagine that conversation. Paul says, Tim, we've got to get into these Jewish communities. We're going to share the gospel there. Timothy said, absolutely. Paul said, Timmy, there's a problem. They know about your dad. Timothy said, yeah, I mean, you know, my dad's a Greek. They know about my dad. So what? Well, Timothy, that means they know about you. Know what about me? No, I mean, they know about yourself. If we're going to get into these communities, I, Paul, am going to need to cut off part of your genitalia. Now, immediately, I'm sure Timothy would back up a little bit, have to think through it, doesn't matter how committed you are to the gospel, and he would then have some really great arguments if he chose to use them. Paul, didn't you say to the Galatians, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. And Paul says, listen, you can make a gospel conversation if you want to, but if we're going to get the gospel into these communities, pull your pants down. (laughs) Now, There's every indication in the scripture that Timothy submitted to that. I have asked you, Hope Church has asked you this morning to put on a mask to come in. Many of you already had masks on, but we've asked all of you to keep them on and to wear them as you come in. I have not yet asked you to allow me to perform surgery on your bathing suit area. Now, is without question that we are not asking for something beyond what Christians have done in the past and are doing presently for the gospel. So, let's just establish the principle first. We can talk about how it connects. But we will do anything 
for the gospel. Point two from Scripture, we hate rebellion. If you're a Christian, that word rebellion should always make you cringe. The Christian is the one who remembers with great pain and hopefully daily what their rebellion was before God. My personal testimony is that I grew up with people who preached the gospel well and clearly to me. And I understood the facts of those things, and yet I wasn't a Christian because I said, yes, I'm a sinner like everybody else. And that little phrase, like everybody else, kept me out of the kingdom of God. Do you know why? Because by it, I meant that I'm not really that bad. And the moment that I became a Christian was when I said, no, 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 no. Everybody's sinned, and I'm definitely part of everybody, but my sin deserves God's wrath. I have rebelled against God. And at that moment, fear went all the way down into my belly. There's an existential terror of seeing that chasm open up beneath your feet and realizing that you're going to fall in and you deserve to fall in. You cannot go any forward. You cannot go in any way into Christianity without understanding that before God, you have rebelled. So whatever else is going on in your world... That's the main sin that God had to kill Christ to forgive you for. It is not easy then for the Christian to go back to rebellion. Here are some verses for you. Titus chapter 3, again Paul, he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient And then he puts these sentences together here, these phrases, to be ready for every good work, to speak no evil of anyone, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? Because we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by one another and hating one another. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by renewal of the Holy Spirit. You submit because you rebelled and God saved you by his mercy. You've changed You were a rebel. You're now a son or a daughter. And so you submit. When my kids submit to me and my teaching, I make it very clear that the laws of our house are God's laws. Rachel found this great book. It goes through and it takes kid behavior, kid disobedience, that's like not as obvious. And it shows you scriptures where you can say, okay, don't just say because I said so. You can say, because the Bible says so. And I get down in their face, and we have our moment of training, (laughs) our moment of discipline. And I can ask them, 
Do you know why I have to keep you to this law? Is it my law? And they'll say, no, it's God's law. Yeah. I'm trying to teach them that their natural submission to me is really only a reflected submission to God. When my wife submits to me in the, my leadership in the home, you better believe it's not because she thinks my leadership is equivalent to God's, but because as a Christian wife, she is submitting to God and his order within the home of asking me to lead it. It's not because naturally she just wants to do that. It's because she says, I trust God, not you. <laughs> and well, she should. When I submit to the leadership team at Hope Church, it's not just because I have a deep respect for those men. It's because God has put it together that way. And so when it comes to the question of rebellion, I need you to ask yourself if you have ever really submitted to God at all. And part of the problem that you have with submitting to anybody else is not that you've just never really submitted to the king of kings. Of course you're not going to submit to some king, governor, or man. How could you? You've never even submitted to God himself. If you've never bent the knee before that authority, why would you bend the knee before any other? I am not saying that if you take a specific political opinion, you are not a Christian. I am saying that if the posture of your heart is always towards rebellion you got some serious questions to ask about whether or not you've actually ever submitted to God. So, we'll do whatever it takes for the gospel. We will always hate rebellion against God and fight against rebellion in our own hearts when we see it against His delegated authority in our leaders. And... I will gladly rebel against the leaders of this world when they oppose God. So, I hope you have enough Bible in your head to be thinking about instances where men and women disobeyed the authorities that were on earth in order to obey the authority they have in heaven. Perfect example of it. You're going to get to it if you're on the Bible reading plan. You're in the book of Acts right now. You're almost to Acts 5. When you get to Acts 5, you're going to see about Peter and John, how they are a perfect example for us. The leaders in Jerusalem hated the gospel. They wanted these guys to quit preaching it because not only did it steal their authority, it also put them in a bad light because, oh, that's right, they're the ones who killed Jesus. So Peter and John come in. They're preaching Jesus. They're seeing people by the thousands come to follow Jesus. So the leaders arrest these guys, bring them in, charge them. When they had called the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Peter and John then left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Verse 42. And every day... In the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They received punishment. They received clear prohibitions. They rejoiced, even though they were beaten. And then daily in public and in private, they continued to preach the gospel. 
this clear order was disregarded. Why? Verse 28, Peter said, we strictly, or the, the, the teacher said, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet you are filling Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. You will have to rebel against local authorities when they rebel against God. Stated a different way, you will have to submit to God's law even when they fail to submit to God's law. We must obey God rather than man. If the government ever stop, attempts to stop people from obeying God and worshiping God, then we have a God-given command to submit to God rather than them. However, if it is for convenience or pride of the disciples that they rebel, I, I just I can't see how that is submission to God. So here's our three little points. These are our three little ball, like walls that we've got to avoid and make sure that whatever position we take includes. One, we'll do anything for the gospel. Two, we hate to rebel. It's not the posture of the Christian to be in rebellion. But three, yeah, we're going to submit to God, even if it means persecution from the authority of the state. Now, should you then wear a mask? On Monday, when us as a leadership team sat down to discuss this question, we did not have the government's uh, rules. We didn't have any kind of county mandate. We sat down in the room. We talked about whether or not we should start wearing masks on Sundays. And we decided that there are 130 people that have not been back to hope since all this started. Process that, please. We have not had a single guest at Hope Church that was not a Christian from another church who just hasn't started meeting yet, so they needed a place to come. Praise God, glad you're here. But that's not the guest that we're praying for. So what are we going to do about that? Are we okay with that? Is the direction and policy of the church just fine with losing 60% of the people that we used to see weekly? Is the policy and leadership and individuals within the church just fine with not having another new guest for months? I'm not asking any of you to do surgery yet. I'm not asking any of you to rebel against authorities. Yet, I am asking you to make this a safer place for people who aren't here yet. I don't know if masks are the perfect way to do that. It is a way to start. Because if we wear a mask and people online see me wearing a mask and see all these people almost passing out so they can sing with masks on, they'll understand that we're committed to their safety. And whether you think it's legitimate or not, they have a question about whether or not it's safe to be in this room because they think they could possibly take COVID home and that it might kill them or mom or grandma 
Or, like the two little kids in Tennessee under 10 years old, that it might take out their kids. And you can say that they're wrong. But the fact is that they don't think this is a safe place. And if this is not a safe place, then they can't hear the gospel because, and again, show me the numbers. If there's a better way to get the gospel to this community, I don't know of it. That's why we'd move heaven and earth to make a Sunday morning experience that we hope is palatable. Because we think Sunday morning experiences, and every baptism we've had has shown it, we think Sunday morning experiences are the best way for people to hear the gospel in a slow, steady, repeated fashion. If that's the case, we have to do what we can to make sure Sunday mornings not only happen, but are considered by the community to be a safe enough place to come and hear the gospel. Will you wear a mask for the gospel? It's an election year. Get in there. Change things up if you want to. But will you wear a mask right now for the gospel? And if perception's not enough, the medical facts are there. If you and I are out somewhere in the woods and neither of us have pants on, call the police. But... Imagine that's true, and, and you peed. In that instance, I get wet, and you don't. Now, if I have pants, and you don't, and you pee, I still get pee on me, but I get less pee on me. If we're both wearing pants, and you pee, well, that's a problem. But it's mostly your problem. <laughs> if we wear masks then your effluvia, which may be a carrier of COVID-19, stays with you. We're not going to say any names. We don't identify a patient zero, but we have had COVID-positive people at Hope Church. There's been instances. They haven't infected anybody. I mean, everything's okay because of the procedures that we've taken and the precautions that we've taken. But it's not just something out there somewhere. At church, the prodigal takes priority. And for that reason, for the 130 who haven't come back and for the 2 million that we've never seen, we're going to do this mask plan. Whether the government said it or not, we were going to do this. And we're doing it because it's the best way we know for people to hear the gospel. Now, the guarantee I made is the same guarantee I'll extend to you again. All week... I would love to have these conversations. That's maybe an exaggeration. I'm willing to have these conversations. I need to know what you're thinking. I want to help you understand it the way I understand it. But if you come to me and want things to change at Hope Church, you need to bring a gospel argument because we're wearing masks for gospel reasons. Does that make sense? And while all of this is hard, and while I hope that you agree with me, even if you don't, please know that I love you like crazy. And our hope is that like Jesus gave up the comforts of heaven to come to earth, then to the cross, then even to death in order to bring us to himself. Just like the families who started Hope Church left much nicer churches to come to a place without a church and sweat and make something happen so that we could be together in this church, you will do things that are uncomfortable 
in the hope that you can bring the gospel to other people. Maybe it's wearing a mask. It certainly will be on Sunday morning. But maybe it's also taking one of those Jesus, uh, John Challenge Bibles and handing it to somebody and just speaking. Who knows? Maybe you'll be more bold in a mask. Robbers are more bold with masks. Maybe you will be for the gospel. But just check yourself. Know your heart. If there's rebellion in there for all your hate for all these people who aren't wearing masks or against the government for telling you you have to wear a mask, what's your stance before God? Because if that rebellion rises up again and again and again, I need you to ask yourself if you've ever submitted yourself to him and to his plan. If so, as I don't doubt for most of you, then help me understand. And let's together move towards a church Sunday morning experience that makes it as wide as possible for the prodigal, the one who is far from God, to come and to hear and to believe. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would give us grace. You're the only one who makes perfect decisions. You're the only one who leads perfectly. And yet, we are going to take the decisions that we have to in order to make the gospel as clear as possible for as long as possible. And I pray that you would fill us up as a people with grace, thinking about the love that you've given to us and fighting desperately to maintain our unity as a church and our gospel witness to the community. We love you, sir. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.